I started as a student to the university. Uh, I was a product manager at, at the time. Uh, and it just really brought back all the joys I had in my training career. And um, as a result, I, I just worked with the, uh, the manager of the university and said, let's, let's work together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors, the podcast where I bring in fascinating people from my world to talk about life, data science, sports analytics, content creation, and much, much more. I'm your host, Ken G. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Mike Kelly. Mike got his degree in aeronautical engineering, but found his passion in technical training. He spent the last six years in the healthcare industry working for Optum, a large analytics and technology provider owned by United Health Group. He is the principal data scientist working on machine learning projects and training United Healthcare employees on the technical and business aspects of data science and AI. He's played a major role in building the internal data science training at Optum. And in this conversation, we talk about some of the benefits and drawbacks of learning data science through your work. Now on to the interview. Thank you for coming in. For those of you who were not just in the last 20 minutes of conversation, I forgot to press record on the, the first part of my conversation with Mike. So you guys are getting an even more rehearsed version of this interview. So, so get excited. So Mike, I wanted to bring you in. Thank you again for uh, agreeing to chat with me. You have an awesome YouTube channel where you do a lot of really cool tutorial style stuff around data science and AI. And I think you have a very different perspective on how to go about learning this field than pretty much anyone else that, that I've that I brought on because you've gone and you've you've had experience creating uh, data science learning materials within corporations, within organizations. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that that's a really good option or that is an option to learn data sciences after you've gotten the job. So I'm really excited to bring you in for that perspective. And I'm just really grateful to be able to have this uh, conversation with you to share your perspective and background. Well, thanks for inviting me, Ken. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, I think it's always a good starting place to uh, hear more about your background, how you got started in data science, how you got started learning this material. And um, you know, when it was the moment that you realized, hey, this is what I'm doing as a career now, uh, rather than just as a hobby or whatever that might be. Well, yeah, it um, it really kind of crept up on me throughout the years. Uh, part of my career, actually a good part of my career, uh, has been around enterprise data applications, which, of course, have a very large uh, data back end. And so I've been involved uh, in a small part with building those, but more so in in training not only developers, but end users around those, those large-scale applications. And it was really through there that I was... Uh, you know, educated in how data operated in an enterprise environment and got exposed to a lot of relational database management. Uh, I learned SQL through those experiences. And so that's, uh, that's where the data part of data science entered my life. And then really the formal data science aspects uh, started to materialize about six years ago when I joined on with Optum, where I am now. Uh, and I, uh, I say that with the, uh, the disclosure that all opinions are mine. Um, but um, Optum is a, is a large healthcare enterprise. And uh, a number of years ago, they, they realized that AI and machine learning was going to be 
you know, the killer app of healthcare. And so it was in a large respect, kind of a all hands on deck to uh, really improve their capabilities in that area. The, the challenge that they faced, um, and maybe I'll just step back and, and speak in uh, the context of all of healthcare, is that um, there are really two audiences that need data science training. And one of those is the you know, the recent grads and the new hires that may have a pretty good, at least in this day, uh, wasn't so much six years ago, but they have a pretty good handle on what data science is and, and how to do data science, but they don't have the domain knowledge of healthcare, which is just an enormous domain. Uh, every, okay. every project that I start, I realize I know absolutely nothing. <laughs> So it's, you know, huge learning curves uh, in that area. And then the other audience are people that have been uh, with the industry for many, many years and have, you know, huge domain knowledge uh, sets, if you will, on how healthcare works, but, you know, they don't know how to build a machine learning model or they don't know statistics or things like that. So it was really through a combination of both of those use cases uh, that uh, we ended up creating a, a university internal to the organization. So it's called, you know, Data Science University. And uh, we first, the first group of people we trained were these new hires that were coming in. Uh, so it was a very formal data science and um, medical healthcare background type of thing. And then after that, we opened it up to the broader organization. And within about five years, I think it was, we, we trained about 1,200 uh, employees through our, what I'll just call a nano, kind of a nano degree at a, probably a master's level education, I would say, on both healthcare, I guess it was healthcare data science is, is how you could summarize that. So that's, that's how, awesome. that's why I involved. I started as a student to the university. Uh, I was a product manager at, a t- at the time. Uh, and it just really brought back all the joys I had in my training career. And um, as a result, I, I just worked with the, uh, the manager of the university and said, let's, let's work together. I'd love, to, I'd love to work with you. And, and the rest is history. For the last two years, I've been uh, working in that organization. That's awesome. And so there's actually there's quite a few things that I, I would really like to highlight in what you said. So the, the first is that you know, you'd been doing data, I guess, tangential work for the, t- you know, an extended time preceding your, your foray into true data science. And I think a lot of people believe they have to go in and have this very structured formal education related to data science. They need to become a data scientist first, and there's no other options for breaking in. And I think it's very clear from your path that if you do something similar, right, you're a, a DB admin, you are a database architect, you're a software engineer, you're a data analyst, whatever that might be, there is a very clear path into becoming a data scientist from there. You have a large chunk of the skill set, and the data science skill set by nature is very lumpy, right? So I might come in, I have a stronger computer science background, but a little less on the statistics, and I have good uh, you know, business skills. Like no data scientist, or very, it's very rare that data scientists have a very even distribution of all of those skills. So when you're coming in, you know, leverage your strengths, go into roles where you have a very strong presence. And I would imagine that your earlier data science work, or even as a PM, was very heavily focused on uh, the data 
more than it was on the outcomes and the and the NLA. I could be could be wrong there, but um, you know, I, I think that that is something very important to highlight in your transition. Um, another thing that is really big is that you know there isn't just a certificate or a master's degree route. You can get on the job training, and a lot of these trainings are really good and really relevant. You know, if if we're, we're talking about how domain is so important, there's no better place to learn domain knowledge than from the company itself that you're working in. So, you know, I personally prefer working at startups, working at smaller companies, but there is a definite benefit to working in one of these larger organizations that can orchestrate a more um, a more consolidated attack on on teaching a subject area. So before we really jump into what creating uh, a, an internal university is like, I'd personally like to understand your educational background and understand if that is even relevant to the work that you've been doing. You know, that's one uh, point of departure a lot of people have is, oh, I chose the wrong major in college. I'll never be a data scientist. Obviously, I don't believe that to be true. But, you know, I, I'm very interested in, in your background, your perspective, and, and if that has had any impact on your career whatsoever. I think it definitely has. And, you know, uh, no secret, just by looking at me, you can see I've, uh, you know, I have the perspective of, of looking at looking back some 30 years now in my in my career. Um, and I think that once you start doing that, you you'll always start connecting the dots of how certain things have impacted you throughout the years. I mean, I think uh, at the very beginning, you know, both my parents were teachers. My mom was a, a primary school teacher, which I think is a, a common term around the world. Um, and then my father was uh, a uh, an adjunct university instructor for for many years. And so I kind of had, you know, that perspective. Um, although I had, I didn't plan on becoming uh, a teacher or an educator or anything like that. My background is aeronautical engineering. Uh, that's what I got my degree in. Um, but just as as fate would have it, uh, I graduated right when the Cold War ended and right when there was a huge recession at the, the end of the 80s going into the beginning of the 90s. And so you know, I didn't have a huge opportunity to, to get into aerospace at the time. Um, I lived in Southern California, and that was the... Uh, um, you know, the Silicon Valley of aerospace back, back in the day. And it was that whole, that whole industry was just kind of um, collapsing due to, due to the recession. Um, so what ended up having happening was I, I literally answered an ad in the classified ads for this company that was uh, teaching people how to use computers. And I had, you know, been a computer nerd in high school with my Commodore 64 and, you know, really loved uh, just tinkering with computers. And I said, well, I like computers and I could probably, it might be fun to, to teach people how to use them. So, um, you know, I answered that ad. It turned out I, I, I wasn't very good at teaching at all. There's a much longer story about me, you know, nearly getting fired the first day that I taught and, uh, you know, having to really um, grow that skill set to where I, I could become a, a an effective teacher, but uh, I'm certainly better for it as a result of, of all those, those lessons learned. But, you know, looking back, um, one of the real keys of, of being a good teacher in any field, I think it, number one is empathy for the people that you're teaching. 
uh, especially with adults. You know, the adults come into a training situation in all different circumstances, not the least of which is fear. Um, but then also just my engineering background really led to that because as an engineer, you're taking a complex problem, you're breaking it down into its primary parts and really focusing on each of those parts and assembling them into, you know, a much a larger whole of a working, a working part, so to speak. And, and that's what teaching is too. You know, you take a, a concept like data science and you're, you're breaking it down into to much smaller parts so that people can understand what it is. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, I can look back and, and connect a lot of dots to where I am today. Well, I would argue that data science also follows that exact same process. And I think that's one reason why a lot of engineers find data science very interesting is you start with a problem, you have to deconstruct it, and then you have to rebuild some sort of infrastructure around how to predict it, you know, outcomes or understand it better, make it more explainable, whatever that might be. And, um, you know, I, I really like your story because it has a very clear, uh, a very clear end to end, you know, why you moved in each certain direction, you know, so the first move into teaching might've been a little bit out of necessity, right? But it was in line with the other things that were going on with your life in line with your parents, in line with all those things. And I think it's really important for everyone who wants to get into this field, everyone just in general to think about their story and does it make sense? You know, I, I find a lot of people saying, okay, I, I work in, in uh, marketing or not even marketing. Let's say something completely answered. I, I'm a music major and I want to switch into data science. I, I think that it's fine that it could make sense, but you really have to make sure that there are clear logical steps in the intermediary to get from one to the other. You know, combine your music with some data at a certain point, and then take another step even further in the data science direction. There has to be some logical tipping point where you're, you know, for, for example, for me, I was always interested in sports, no interest in data. I learned a little bit about data and I started applying it to my athletics. And then I realized that, oh, I like this data as well. And I can move on logically to learn more about data. Uh, but the story, the, the, the narrative that you tell yourself, the narrative you tell other people is really important for how you get from point A to point B. And if you don't have that, you're going to feel very lost very frequently, which I have absolutely experienced. So I would love to get more into what teaching data science within a corporation is like. How does one build out those programs? What are some of the important things, especially when you're dealing with those two groups, the group that doesn't have the technical per se, but that has great subject area and the group that doesn't have the subject area, but has a lot of the technical, you know, are they in the same classrooms? Are they, you know, can these people choose what courses they take to get the specific knowledge to fill out their deficiencies? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we, we do put everyone in the same group. Um, you know, one of the pillars of, adult learning is that um, the student's experience is is of the highest value, you know, even in relation to the content that you're giving. And so unlike, uh, you know, we have technical terms for these pedagogy, which is, you know, teaching children versus andragogy, which is teaching adults you know, with, with children, they get into a classroom, they have, you know, no say, no experience, sometimes no value in the eyes of the teacher, which is really unfortunate. 
And so it's basically just a, a sage on the stage, as we sometimes call it with them, with adults. Um, you know, I start every session, you know, every semester, if you will. Um, I've, I've gone through the people in that are going to be attending. There's usually 150 to 250 people in, in each session. And, you know, we've got joins into the, the HR database and all that. So I can see what job roles they have coming in and how long they've been with the company. And I just start off by saying, look, I've been, I, I, I'm an expert at what I'm going to teach, but I only have six years of that expertise. Whereas the combined expertise of everyone in this room, and, and I give out the number, it's typically in the neighborhood of five to 600 years. Um, of combined experience. So I say that, you know, that is where the value is going to be. Each of you are going to bring something unique to the class and um, it's going to add to the experience that we have. I, I love that so much because that's something that I would hope that I echo in the data science learning journey is that even if you're coming to a company as an entry-level data scientist, an entry-level uh, analysts, whatever that might be, you're still bringing life experience. I mean, you're, you're, most people are at least 20, 21, 22 years old when they're applying to these jobs. I am certain that there's something that you've experienced in your life to that point that the other person or other people in your organization have not experienced, even though it's, you know, a smaller sample, you know, I have 10 or so years on that. You might have just a couple more beyond, beyond that, but, um, there's still value that everyone can bring from their own experiences. You know, I've seen on resume someone is was a professional violinist before they, you know, before they had gotten this job. And to me, that ability to perform in front of other people or that ability to understand a, a rehearsed action, the ability to practice and learn a very specific technique, that's something that I could 100% learn from. That's something I could take away. There, there There's, you know, very, uh, sometimes it's hard to make those connections. But there's absolutely something that everyone can bring into those conversations and, and contribute to a community or, or, or to expand a perspective. So I would like to understand, you know, from that, um, when you're teaching in an organization, how is that different from, you know, perhaps a certificate or a master's program? Is it just that, that aspect of subject area expertise or does it go beyond that? There is there is some overlap, but the primary thing to understand is that the goal at the end is not to, uh, you know, earn some kind of score. It's not to pass the class or get the certificate. The, the goal at the end of the day is to bring value to the organization. And um, so just learning a, a checklist of skills does not mean that you're, you know, improving the business in some way. In, in our case, it's improving the lives of, of uh, the people that we that we work with. So, um, so that's really that's really the big difference, and and that's where the experience of the students come in is, um, how are you going to go back and apply this, or you know, what is it about what you're learning now that uh, you can see being able to improve your specific job. And, you know, one of the things that we do in classes is we actually require people to, to keep a blog of, of their experience during the course and to, you know, 
journal or blog, if you will, what did you learn this week and how are you going to apply this to your job as a, you know, a nurse practitioner or a, you know, a program manager or a software developer or, or whatever it is. And, you know, everyone has, everyone's going to have a different experience in that way. That's awesome. I, I think that that's one of the most important things that you can do is understand one, how to relate what you're doing to some future outcome, but two, to, to track your progress. I mean, it's very easy to get frustrated when you're learning because on a day-to-day -day basis, it moves very slow. But if you look at things over the course of a month or a year, you'll be astounded by the progress you've made. And you know, that's one of the biggest things about the 66 days of data initiative that, that I've been really pushing these days is that you're tracking your progress every day. And after you've gone through all 66 days, you can look at how far you've come since day one, and you have this very neat log that you've shared with a ton of people. Um, and to me, that is one of the most motivational things that you can do surrounding any type of learning is just simply tracking it. There's this expression, I'm sure you've heard it, what gets measured gets managed. And um, I think that that is one of the, the truest things I can think of. So when it comes to this type of internal learning, are there any pitfalls? Are there any drawbacks? Obviously, you've expanded on that by creating some YouTube video, YouTube content as well, quite a bit of it, actually. Um, you know, what, it, what are your thoughts related to that? Yeah, there are a couple, and I'll, I'll just speak just generally in the industry here from, from what I've seen. Um, I'd say probably in the last three to five years, because of the advance of so much online material that there's, there's kind of a movement towards curated training as opposed to uh, building custom training in-house. Um, you know, 10, 20 years ago, everyone had their own internal training departments. I mean, even the one I was involved with, um, we would we would build all of the training in-house from A to Z. Now I'm seeing a lot of training go to, you know, uh, go watch, you know, video, go watch the first two videos of this course on Coursera and then go watch this YouTube video and then, you know, do the assignment on, you know, Kaggle's chapter three of machine learning. And so they're, they're seeing the, the, I'll just say the cost savings of, of just using what's out there and trying to piece it together to meet their need. Um, but, but the pitfall of that is that you may end up having a, a larger gap that needs to be filled by doing that uh, than it would have taken for you to build some very custom and succinct training. Um, you know, I see that in the healthcare industry specifically, um, um, and you can just kind of, you know, you can do the math. If I have a thousand students and I curate a bunch of material, but they, they each need to spend an additional five hours on their own time to kind of piece it all together, you know, that's 5,000 hours lost of productivity for the organization. Whereas I could build something very succinct to healthcare, you know, maybe in a hundred or 200 hours and, you know, they would go away being able to 
apply that immediately and not have to figure out the rest on their own, you know, which is kind of that, I'll call it the academia model. Um, you know, it's not a dig on academia by any means. Um, but, um, you know, th- that model is more, you spend one hour in the classroom and you spend X hours in the library figuring it out afterwards versus the commercial model and the, per- the you know, in the professional uh, world, I'll call it, the people are going to come to you already busy and under a lot of stress and under a lot of deadlines. And, and their motivation is, look, I'm going to give you an hour of my time. I expect to be two hours more productive <laughs> afterwards as a result of it. So, you know, those are kind of the expectations going into it. Yeah. Well, you said you you weren't taking a, a dig at traditional education, but I, I personally have quite um, quite an issue with, I think, the academic approach these days. You know, we focus so much on theory, you go to class and you, you're just kind of talked at for an hour and then you're supposed to go figure out your homework at home on your own or whatever that might be. And there's been quite a few studies where if me watching a lecture on my own time is just as effective as being there in the classroom. But when I go to the classroom, if we just worked on problems or the areas that I had the most issue, I would learn so much more effectively or, or people in generally in general would learn a lot more effectively. So I think that there's a, to your point, there's a lot of wasted time in a true academic setting where things that are easy to do on your own, like watching lectures are, are done in a backwards order. You know, we're watching lectures when we should be working on problems when the teacher is there who can actually help us with the issues that we're having and getting immediate feedback rather than you know, having to do my whole homework and then not get it graded for another two weeks. And I mean, I obviously have some issues there. So, um, Well, sure. And data science, you know, comes out of the halls of academia, right? I mean, specifically of the the statistics departments of some of those universities. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of really bitter statisticians out there that, you know, (laughs) are, uh, you know, don't have the, the sexy title of data scientists, but they're, you know, they're just saying, that's what I do. But but yeah, so, um, and a lot of that carries into the, to data science training today, e- even in the, the online courses that are out there, you know, they still follow those patterns of, of uh, first principles, if you will, you know, that you can't, you can't train a linear regression model till you've gone through statistics and linear algebra and calculus and, you know, then, then we'll talk about training models, you know. And yeah, just, you have to learn gradient descent and all those things, which usually, which can be used in linear regression, but I don't think are ever really used in practice. Uh, well, gradient descent is absolutely used in practice in like neural nets and stuff, but not in linear, regardless. Um, so I, I would like to understand also a little bit better about your your teaching philosophy. We've had some pretty good conversations about how you view learning. And I think, your approach to that could really help a lot of people understand themselves and also how to learn this field a little bit better. Sure. Yeah. I've uh, kind of adopted a principle. I didn't really know what it was until it was something I'd always done, but didn't have a formal name for it. And when the the world of agile software development uh, started emerging in the early 2000s, there were some some best practices and names put to these things, and I and I 
and I kind of came to the conclusion that, oh, that's what, that's what I believe, so to speak. And really the main philosophy that, that I try and pattern my teaching after comes out of the two of the folks that, that put together the, the Agile Manifesto back in the, their early 2000s. And that's Martin Fowler and Alistair Coburn. Um, but they, they talked about a, a method of, it was for them, it was how software developers learn a new skill. But I think it applies to, to any skills-based training, including obviously data science. And they call it the, the Shuhari approach. That, that's a term that comes out of ancient uh, Japanese martial arts. Uh, you can get the backstory on Wikipedia. I won't spend the time in our conversation going through all that, but it's basically a pattern of a learner goes through three phases before they master a skill. And so the, the first skill, which is the shu, part of shuhari, shu means to uh, obey or follow. And as a, as a beginning learner that has no perspective and no background on the skill that they want to learn, they basically are, are coming into training with the desire to just have a recipe for success. So, you know, give me the steps that I need to follow so that if I apply those same steps to any situation that I encounter, I'll be successful. You know, how do I load a CSV file in Python? How do I, you know, set up a model to be trained? How do I fit versus predict um, a model and so forth? So just give me the steps. It's, it's a recipe and we've all seen those, but, you know, that's kind of the first part of learning it. It builds their confidence and it gives them some skills that they can apply immediately. And then the second phase, the 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 ha phase, um, that's basically now your uh, the translation I think has to do with learning from multiple masters. So you you don't have one single master. Speaking of martial arts, not in, in training, but um, you're basically learning from multiple sources. So this is the stage where now I can read, uh, you know, a Python API in the documentation and, you know, I can query, I can formulate questions as to what I want to do and I can find sources to get those answers, whether it's on Stack Overflow and I get a, a code snippet or, you know, here's the API that does that thing, you know, to to sort a, a data frame or something like that. And I can understand it to the point of, you know, I can, I can read what the parameters are, what they mean, and I can structure my code according to that. And it really is the optimization of what I learned in the first step. So now it's not just the one way of doing it that's successful, but now, you know, there's keyboard shortcuts, there's optimized training perhaps in the in the learning model um, you know it's a more robust solution or you know it can be generalized to other problems as well so you know you're you're now in that step where you're much more self-guided than you were in the first step and then the the, the final step the re-step that means to leave um, and that basically is where you're now just completely improvising uh, because you have enough building blocks that any problem that you're faced with, you can 
you know, you have enough tools at your disposal that you can say, well, I'm going to use this technique that I used on this project to gather my data. Um, you know, I optimize the model on this other project and I'm going to throw that in there. And, um, you know, I, I'm now going to use this fancy API for displaying my results and, and so forth. So, you know, unfortunately, a, a lot of people that go into training or provide training, a lot of times it's the experts in the field. And uh, so they end up, you know, they've been at it so long, they end up starting people out with the last phase. And it's like, you know, if you want to learn data science, you got to learn how to read an API or, you know, I'm going to teach you these 10 things and you have to be able to piece them together for a new project. And it's just, you know, it's at best discouraging and at worst, you know, failure inducing as far as uh, the, the result of that. So that's kind of the approach that I take. Um, it's a top-down approach to, to training. So, um, you know, in the, in the course that I, that I teach and the, the one that I put on my channel, you know, you're not going through 15, 20 hours of Python uh, learning about, you know, how to type in commands on the, you know, interactive calculator commands, and then what's a variable and what's a list and what are all the data structures and what are all the loops and, you know, what are all the conditional statements. And, you know, 20 hours later, you train a model. Um, lesson one is, is uh, read underscore CSV, get the data set loaded so that you can look at it. How big is it? How many columns does it have? You know, what, how many rows does it have? So it's, it's really just a turning people into practitioners right away and giving them those early successes and, you know, moving through the the skills as quickly as you can. I, you know, I kind of use an analog to driver's training. You know, you go in there and lesson one isn't how to change a tire or how to, you know, gap your spark plugs or how to, you know, tune your engine. It's, how to turn it on, how to steer, <laughs> what do the gas pedals and brake pedals do? You know, that's, that's kind of the approach that I'm taking. Now, all the other stuff's important and you'll eventually need to learn it, but you don't need to learn it on day one. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I really like the Shuhari approach. That's the first time since I read the Agile Manifesto five years ago that, that I've heard it again. But there's so much good stuff there. I think the first thing is that just going through the motions is okay. Just going through and seeing what other people have done. One of the best things I think you can do is go through Kaggle notebooks where people are practicing like real data science and just going through and beginning to understand what they're doing. And then even doing the same project with the same methodology, obviously giving them credit, but just getting into the practice of seeing the patterns, the more we do that, the better we understand it at a fundamental level. For the, for the ha portion, I also think it's a very similar approach where you're uh, taking these concepts and you're, um, you're realizing that maybe the way that, that you're seeing them in one place isn't the best way that resonates with you. I will look up a lot of really technical stuff. So I was looking at StyleGAN2 for generating fake images and looking at the documentation, I had no clue what was going on. 
but I watched four YouTube videos on it. And now I think I have a pretty good, of all from different authors, I think I have a pretty good understanding of how it works, how to implement it, whatever that might be. And sometimes it's not, a lot of people think it's them that, that, that is the problem. Oh, I can't understand that concept. But a lot of the times it's that, hey, this other resource just explains it in a way that makes a lot more sense to me. And it's so important to have diversity of thought, diversity of perspectives. I get asked so frequently, hey, what is the best online course to take? And there is no best online course. I mean, the, 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 the answer is that learning is not, um, it's, you don't supplement one resource for another. It's all complementary. So if I learn from one resource, I can learn the same thing from another resource, but I get that additional knowledge. And it's not like one is overlapping or, or instead of the other. It's that you should be combining all of these things to create a bigger, I guess, massive knowledge. And um, I'm sorry. So learning is additive, right? It's 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 not something that that you're doing in place of another thing. We should be taking a bunch of different courses, learning from a bunch of different resources, and this is all coming together to create this bigger learning uh, mess that that you created, or that I've created, <laughs> or whoever it might be. So I I absolutely uh, I love that concept, and it's put in a very succinct way by yourself, and obviously by. Uh, the the founders of the Agile Manifesto. So let's change gears just a little bit here. I'd love to learn more about your YouTube channel, understand what the onus for putting your stuff out on a more public platform is. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I, cre I created the YouTube channel fairly recently, just a few months ago. Um, I added it, I added the content to a channel that I had previously. And that was just kind of a, a selfish business decision to to carry over my previous subscriber list onto the the new content. But uh, it, the reason I I did it was was multifold. One, and I think probably the primary reason was that um, personally, I I don't feel like I've understood something to a competency level unless I can explain it and teach it to others. So that's kind of my check uh, as to, you know, do I know linear regression? Well, if you've explained it in a video for 30 minutes, you've got a pretty good idea of how it works, um, at least to the, the extent that you're explaining it there. So that's part of it. And it's, it's really, a, you know, it's that, it's a portfolio for me. So, you know, should in the future I ever need to uh, give someone an idea of, you know, what my experience level is, you know, it's going to, that's going to be part of my portfolio in addition to all the, the, uh, the other things that you've told me to follow and, and I'm working on as well. Um, and then the other side of it was, is really just an experiment. You know, I've, I've gone through dozens and dozens of data, beginning data science courses. And, you know, we've talked about some of the, the frustrations around those and, and the differences in, in my philosophies. And so it's really just uh, an experiment on whether, you know, uh, what I think does, does it have legs or, or doesn't it? I mean, should someone start with differential calculus? Maybe they should, but, you know, I'm going to throw this content out there and see if people can relate to it. And, you know, hopefully as it gets more and more exposure, I'll, I'll start to get, uh, get, you know, different feedback uh, and comments of, 
of what people think. You know, does it has it helped them, or is it too basic? Is it too hard, or or what? I, I mean, I do I do believe that all that other hard stuff is necessary. You, you I think data science really branches out into to two different fields. One is you know the 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 Googles that are creating the TensorFlow libraries. And so, you know, if, if you're on that team and you don't know how to do a partial derivative, you probably shouldn't be on that team. But, you know, if you're working for a company that wants to do churn analysis on their sales, you know, you can probably have some much more basic skills of just putting together a model and, you know, optimizing that in various ways. Awesome. I love it. I think that data science that, well, the amount of knowledge you need should always match the problem and so should the tools, right? And that, that is something that I think is completely, well, is very poorly understood by both data scientists and organizations as a whole. And, you know, the more resources that are out there that, that can touch different levels or you can choose your own adventure that meets the needs for you is, is, an incredibly powerful thing, although it does get a little confusing with all of the, the bounty of resources out there. But uh, at the very least, uh, I think you're doing a lot of really cool stuff and hopefully you know, bring a lot more knowledge into the world. So that's really all the questions I had for you. Do you have any parting thoughts on learning data science? Do you have any advice for someone breaking into the field? Or is there, you know, the floor is yours. You can really talk about whatever you want if you'd like. Yeah, well, thanks. It's been, it's been great talking to you. I really... I enjoyed it. Um, one thing that I have learned just going through the 66 days of data that I've been that I've been following, um, one thing that's really helped me was uh, as I go on the journey and as I learn more about what data science is, uh, the thing that's helped me a lot is has been just to put together a list of things that that I want to try. You know, I. I've gone through all the the basics of building models and optimizing them, but um, you know, just just build these big lists of things that you hear about. You know how to how to dummy encode a column. Um, does it really matter whether your you know your your features are normally distributed for uh, regression models? You know, you read about all those things, but you know, learn how to synthesize data sets so that you can practice and and try all these different things out and just you know build these lists of uh, not really big grand projects but just you know tasks of data science that that you really think are going to help you and that you know it's just part of the general mastery of of the field and then just start knocking them out i i love that that's something i do when i start any new project i i'm a big i have a lot of trouble getting started with things and it, if I give myself very concrete steps of things to, that I want to explore, things that I should be doing with this analysis, it's pretty. It's a great feeling to one check them off, but you also have a clear learning path going forward. You know, if you read about something, you write it on your list. It's awesome to be able to say, "Oh, I know exactly what I should be learning next," which for most people is one of the hardest things. Is is the 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 paradox of having a, a infinite choices is. It takes infinite time to figure out what you want to do. So the last thing I, I would love to share any ways that, that people can learn more about you, get in contact with you, whatever that might be. 
obviously there's a YouTube channel, which I'll link, but are there any other places that you'd like to be uh, to engage with, with people from uh, the, the broader communities? Yeah, you know, I'm out on LinkedIn as well under Mike D, like David Kelly. Uh, so you can you can grab that. I think that's LinkedIn in my about page on my channel. Um, but yeah, we'd just love to hear from you on, on any of those. Uh, I'm on your your Discord channel as well. So, you know, folks that are involved in that uh, can get a hold of me. But um, yeah, I would I would love to hear from from uh, folks out in the community on how they learn, what's been effective, and and anything they want to chat about. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. I, I think this will be very useful to quite a few people, especially related to understanding how they learn. Well, thank you, Ken. I, I love what you're doing on your channel as well. I think it uh, really fills a, an important niche out there of, you know, once you learn it, now what, you know, how do you really market yourself? And I think you're doing a great job with that. Awesome. Thank you. Again. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors. If you enjoyed it, we greatly appreciate it if you gave us a rating and followed the show. It helps us to continue to bring in awesome guests. I also hope you'll join us next week for our conversation with Greg Jacobs. He talks about how he transitioned to becoming a data scientist after practicing law for over 10 years.